You're listening to the Yoga Inspiration Podcast with me, your host, Kino McGregor. I created this series to keep you inspired to get on the mat every day so that you can practice yoga and change your world, starting from the inside out, one breath at a time. Thanks so much for listening. Your support means everything to me. Traditionally, in the yoga practice, we uh, have are training our minds to create precise experience of reality so that we can experience reality as it is. And this is called the power of Viveka Kyati or discriminative discernment. Discriminative discernment means that we see reality without the filter of the story we tell around reality. And the story that we tell around reality has often not been invented by us, but has been passed on to us they have various forms. And then, of course, we add our own little flourishes and make our own unique additions to the story of reality. But the idea with the yoga practice is that there is a distinction between having the power of Viveka Kyati versus the power of merely seeing according to the invented story that we tell around reality or ourselves. So here's an example of the way that something like this works. Before you started yoga, you may have had a preconceived notion of who you are, who you were, what you could do. You know, I'm this strong, I'm this flexible, or I'm not, I'm not strong, and I'm not flexible. And then you start doing yoga. Suddenly, I've talked to many students who said, you know, I, all, I, I feel confident in my life because I managed to stand up from back then in the morning. So then I felt like if I conquered that, I can do anything. There's nothing I cannot do in the rest of my life. So suddenly, because you can do this crazy backbending thing, then you are more confident when you walk around and interact with life here or there, which doesn't necessarily make sense, right? There's not necessarily this idea of a direct causal relationship. In fact, there really shouldn't be. Now you do backbends and you're confident. Now, some people do backbends and they're not confident, but many students I talk to, they say that because they face this challenge, this obstacle, this impossibility in their practice in the morning. They may have succeeded, they may not have succeeded, but they faced it. Then they have changed what you could call the story that they tell about themselves. And in this way, they have changed who they are in the world. You become different. Well, because I, look, I did that. I never thought I could do that. So then the, what we call, or what is often referred to in behavioral science as a box of possibility. That box of possibility is formed by who we think we are. I'm this person, I come from this place, I do these things, and this is the box of what we believe is possible. This box of possibility is by its very nature a limitation. It isn't an infinite space. A box is a finite space that defines parameters. We could even call it a framework. So within this framework, we have a sense of self and identity that we think is permanent that we think is defined, that we think is reality, that is actually nothing more than an invented story based on our preconceived notions of who we are, rooted in past experience, either of ourselves or of the human species as a whole. Let me give you an example outside of the yoga world of the way that the box of possibility works. About 50 years ago, scientists believed, and many people in the human population believed, that it was impossible to run a mile in less than four minutes. Does anybody know this story? It's called the four-minute mile myth. 
And about 50 years ago, scientists developed all of these treaties that said it was impossible for the human body to run a mile in less than four minutes. Numerous scientists signed on. Many people who were runners, they tried and said, you know what, it definitely doesn't work. And there was scientific fact. And scientific fact, quote unquote fact, is very hard to refute from someone who's not a scientist. For example, when people said, I think a four minute mile might be possible, the scientific response was, if that happens, the rate of pressure that's applied by the human body into the earth will apply such a pressure to the muscles that the muscles will explode and the mitochondria, the, 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 the energy systems in the cells themselves cannot process energy at such a rate to exert the power required to propel a human being more faster than four minutes to run a mile. It is impossible for the human body to do such a thing. Now, if you're not a scientist, you're like, okay. I mean, I don't really know about mitochondria. So, I mean, I, I guess I'll just walk, right? Let me call an Uber. It's better for me. Probably better for you to call an Uber, truthfully, if you need to go for a mile somewhere. But um, the, so, there, so against all of this, all the people believe, people tried, they failed. So now we have two things. We have scientific facts and we have empirical evidence. Thousands of people try and they all fail. And then there was one guy, does anybody know his name? Roger Bannister is the guy who, who, who did it. He said, I think I can do it against all doubt. So here was the box of possibility that the entire human species was believing in. Four minute mile, four minute mile. We go to the Olympics, four minute mile, four minute mile. Nobody goes a mile less than four minutes. Roger Bannister says, I think I can do it. His coach says, I think you can too. So we've got two people on the planet who think they can do it against the billions of others who live inside of a box. Now, they didn't just visualize this in their off time. They trained like crazy people. So they trained and trained and trained and trained and failed and failed and failed themselves over and over and over again. And people told them, you're crazy. This will never happen. You'll get injured. You'll break yourself. This is impossible. The box is set. That box is set. They kept believing. I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep trying. I'm never giving up. I believe in it. They worked and they worked and they worked and he did it. He broke the four minute mile. And do you know what happened the moment he broke the box? What else? You know, we know what happened? Everybody else did it. People were like, he can do it. <laughs> Me too. And then they go and break. And now it's like crazy. You know, now it's a much less than the four minutes to run a mile. I couldn't do it. I'm not a good runner. I could train and train and train and maybe get to four minutes. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I would call the Uber. Um, so, but the idea is the box of possibilities. So I definitely have a box about running. I'm, I'm like visualizing not putting my leg behind my head. That's why I don't do it. Um, so if we think about the box of possibility to stand in the face of doubt, after that, after he crossed that hurdle, all these other people did as well. To stand in the face of your own doubt, to break the box of what you believe is possible for yourself, requires courage, it requires bravery, and it requires discriminative discernment. So instead of just believing scientific quote-unquote fact, instead of just believing the other billions of people on the planet, to find a different path that is worthy and truthful is what this practice is really about. So to, to think about how to challenge that box of possibility within yourself is the reason why all of the yoga practice needs to be so hard sometimes. Why it can't just be easy. It can't just be, we'll just do everything that feels good. We'll just do whatever. No, we want to have some challenge. 
not an insurmountable challenge. Okay, Roger Bannister was a runner. You don't take someone that's a layperson, they've never run a day in their life, and you're going to break the four-minute mile. No, you have to be established in something. So within the parameters of how we shift the box of possibility or the box of what's possible within ourselves is we have to go to the edge of our limits, not beyond our limits, not to somebody else's limits, but we need to challenge our box. And this is why it is our practice and not anybody else's practice. This is why it's very destructive in the practice to play a game of comparison, because you may not have the same person's box of possibility. You may not have the same lessons to learn. So when we apply Viveka Kyati, discriminative discernment, we have to start with the recognition of what our box of possibility is and work there. So you may not think you have the potential to do Urdhva Great. So we will work on that. You may not think you have the potential to do handstand. Great, we will work on that. But we don't work everything all at once. Then we disintegrate. So imagine if Roger Bannister was also training for the four-minute mile and to climb Mount Everest and to do crazy parachuting all at the same time. Then it doesn't work. Like this in our yoga practice, we focus on the edge of what's possible within the parameters of our practice. Not everything all at once. We don't have multiple, multiple challenges. Our human brains are conditioned to tell stories around reality. And we're conditioned to make facts permanent. And those facts are always, almost always fungible. There are very few things which are totally uh, permanent. Even the sun, which we think is going to, which, which for our lifetimes will be pretty permanent, but it's not permanent. We know based on scientific fact, that sooner or later, that sun will not be there. Someday this earth may not be here. But for our lives, this is relatively permanent. But we have to remember, this too shall also pass. So what is permanent? The facts of how the human, be how human body would process energy based on the scientific fact in the past? Anybody who's a scientist knows that those facts that are promulgated in society are not actually facts but are part of the conclusion of the scientific method. And the way that the scientific method works is it proposes a hypothesis, which is proven until what? Until disproven, right? Until it's wrong. So it's not permanent truth. What are some scientific facts that people of times past believed was an irrefutable fact and has now been disproven? What do we think? The earth is flat, although that's making a resurgence these days, isn't it? <laughs> the earth is flat, right? There were people who died saying that the earth was not flat. How challenging is it for someone to step outside of the box of possibility that they lost their life for saying the earth is not, the earth is round. Now you're dead. Sorry, I told the truth, right? There are other scientific facts. What, give me someone else. Give me another one. You think of another one? The earth is flat is one. What else? Anyone got another one? The sun revolves around the earth, right? So we have the earth at the center and every whole universe revolving around. Sun revolves, everything revolves around the earth. We know that's not true. The moon only revolves around the earth and maybe satellites, lots of satellites, lots of satellites. If you haven't, thought, if you haven't looked at how many satellites are around this planet, there are lots of satellites revolving around the Earth now. So that we are the center of the satellite universe, for better or worse. Um, so when we, when, another scientific fact that used to be true, anyone think of something else? Uh, 
Hmm? Atoms are indivisible, right? And so now we know through the thanks of giant expensive machines that inside of the inside of the the atom there's more it's smaller and smaller and smaller particles until we've discovered now this um i think it's called the the, the higgs boson which they're calling the god particle and who knows maybe in another uh, when we get an even bigger machine then there's going to be another particle we just need bigger machines seems like more expensive ones and we get smaller particles at some moment they used to treat illnesses by removing blood from human beings. There have been presidents of the United States of America that have nearly died because they had a flu and they removed so much blood from their body to try to cure them that uh, they nearly died from anemia, right? So these are all scientific facts, proven until disproven, proven until disproven. It is not permanent. Please remember that when we're listening to an authority that sits on a pedestal of truth, that the very basis of our scientific rational method is proven until disproven. So don't take it to be permanently true. Viveka Kyati allows us to see the world through the eyes of clarity without the story that we may tell around reality. And this is something that is the foundation of our yoga practice. To break that box of possibility means to shatter the paradigm of all we have known so that we can know what is rather than what is known. And so within the box of possibility, our thinking has to be challenged. So we cannot exist within the comfort zones of the box of possibility. We have to challenge ourselves. Who am I if I could do a backbend? Who would I be if I would be more flexible? Who would I be if I could do this powerful lift up? Not because the lift up has meaning in and of itself. Not because the bending has meaning in and of itself. Because you challenge yourself to change to break that box of possibility within yourself. And that's the beginning of liberation, to see with limitless eyes, to see with eyes unbound by the past and unfettered from the future in what we call the present. And this is what we're working for in the practice of yoga. We don't get there all the time, certainly not. How many doubts did you have about yourself today when you practiced, for example? How many doubts came up? Oh, I can't. Oh, I can't do another one of these. Oh, I can't. Oh, no. You know, I can't do no more jump back. It's too long. I don't want to do this anymore. I can't hold for another breath in this posture. I will die. Right? And it's amazing how we think that often. I'm going to die. You're not going to die. You might be sore, very sore the next day, right? Very, very, very sore the next day. Right? But this is amazing how much though that box seems so urgent. Now, okay, if it's the box of possibility that simply says, I'm not strong enough to do this posture, but what if it's, I'm not strong enough to go for my dream, whatever that dream might be. I'm not strong enough to be who I want to be in the world because I don't dare to believe because no one in my family ever did this. No one before me that I know who looked like me and, and acts like me and talks like me did what I want to do. So I don't believe in it. So I'm going to stay here in this limited sense of self. And this is where yoga is transformative and liberating because you can say, well, look, I never thought I could do a backbend. Now I can't. What else can I do? And this allows us to step out of that limited sense of self and taste a little bit of the power of the limitless self that we truly are. So there's an interesting story about animals, particularly fish. That grow that another it happens to other animals, but this, this is a very interesting story with fish. Fish that are raised in a tank have a box of possibility that they can live in, literally a box. And they learn this 
by hitting up against the glass and realizing, oh, I cannot go any further than this. This is my life. It's kind of sad when you think about an aquarium, to be honest with you, you know, especially small ones. And this is what they have to live. Now, maybe you decide, I want to be the liberator of the fish. So you see the fish and with great compassion, you say, let me take this fish and liberate it into the limitless expanse of the ocean. And you take the fish, and they've done this in studies, you take the fish out of the, that have been raised in this aquarium, and then they take the fish out and put it, say, even in, just to make an improvement, a giant aquarium. So they take an aquarium 100 times the size, and they think, now the fish will be free. They will have so much space. Oh, no, no. The fish are defined by the size of their original aquarium. And they will not, of their own volition, venture outside of their box of possibility. They will not do that. This is what they know. This is the known universe of their life. And we are those fish banging off of the aquarium sides of our own mind. This is who I am. This is how I've been raised. This is what I know myself to be. This is how old I am. This is how strong I am. This is my education level. This is how I speak. This is what I look like. This is where I come from. This is who I am. And how do we dare to move out. Well, they found the fish. They have to push them, right? So we need to push them. So if you are different than fish, do you agree? Yes. So we have consciousness. This wonderful thing called the brain means we can question, which is the whole purpose of cultivating perception in yoga. We can question our thoughts. We can ask if what we think is true is actually true. And we can venture with a little tippy toe outside of the box of possibility and say, this is who I believe myself to be. But let me take one step out and see what happens. Let me try to expand the box a little bit. And then it grows and grows and grows until someday you have an experience that changes the entire framework. There's an example of the way that the human brain exists within parameters or frameworks. Perhaps you've seen, and if you haven't seen, I recommend you uh, to check this out. Just maybe on a, you can search on your phone after you can make it as a test. If you can take a, a, a box, literally a box, and then make three rows of dots in the box, three rows across, three rows on the top, and three rows on the side. So there's total nine dots. Now, the goal is to connect those dots using four lines without changing, without picking up your pen. The majority of people will fail at this because they tried to keep the pen within the box. Nobody said, please keep your lines within the box. But because the framework is a square that the human brain knows as a framework, which is defined and limited a box of possibility, the vast majority of people will fail because they're trying to connect all nine dots while remaining within the square. Some very few thinkers, very few individuals, those brave individuals who are at the leading edge of possibility, merely expanded their box into the empty space around. So we have someone like Albert Einstein, who says that the problem can never be solved at the same level of thinking that created it. So we can't solve the box within the box. We have to go beyond. And it's an interesting thing to see how easily our mind falls within frameworks. This is why it's so important that we understand that, that to make the yoga practice work for us, we need to expand our box of what's possible for us. 
When I first started practicing, the box of possibility was very narrow. There was only a few, a, a, a very particular type of person who excelled at yoga, and I didn't fit into the box. I was smaller, and I have bigger thighs than the people who were there during that time. Most people look more like my husband than me, right? So tall, thin, you know, eating lots of cheese. I'm just kidding. That's only for Kim. <laughs> donuts. Right? So, so I tried to do many of the postures, but it's very difficult because I didn't have anybody that could lead and say, look, you look like me and you can do it. Everybody looked like me. We also couldn't do it. I was trying to lift up and nobody who looked like me could do it. Everybody that I talked to said, well, I have short arms, so I just, I can't do it. You know, you need to have long arms to lift up like, like, like he does look long arms. See, <laughs> You need the long arms to lift up. I don't know what we're going to do. You know, and then at that point, uh, Ashtanga yoga was still in the, in the phase where, you know, uh, blocks were banned. So you couldn't use any blocks or anything like that for assistance. I'm glad we're past that phase now. Um, and, and still, I kept on trying. I kept on trying. And it was very, very, very difficult. So I believe it's very important to challenge our thoughts and also to look for models of people who we can relate to that are very close to us who have already challenged those possibilities, whether that's a possibility of thinking, whether it's a possibility of being in the yoga practice, or whether it's a possibility in life in some circumstance. To model those who can see reality clearly is a very important step on our spiritual path. Second, it's very important to acknowledge our limitations. Where do we have doubt? Where do we not believe in ourselves? Where is our box? For example, some things that people bump up against into Ashtanga yoga is I can't do it six days a week. It's too difficult. I can't do it. I can't handle all these chaturangas. It's just too much. It's just too, it's boring. It's, to do this. it's so boring. I want variety. I want to have a yoga buffet. I can't do the same thing every day. I need a little of this and a little of that and a little of this and a little. So we have all these limitations. Is it true? Do you need that? Is it true? Do you need that? You can't do it six days a week. Is that true? Is that absolutely 100% true? We have to question the box. So we have to be willing to know our limitations and question them. Know the limitations and question them. Same thing in the practice. I'll never be flexible. You ever find yourself thinking that? I'll just never be, this is never going to happen for me. It's never going to happen for me. I'll break before I bend, not for me. So we question that. Is that really true? We go for a small incremental shift in our box of possibility so that then we can reflect back and realize if this was able to be challenged, how much more can I challenge? How much more can I question? What is truth, right? And then our limitations expand. We change. We understand that the power of Viveka Kyati, discriminative discernment, and this is what happens when the light or the fire, what we call the Agni within, the heat which is generated within, right, that spark of the eternal, the Agni is lit each time we practice, this inner Agni, the fire of purification. That heat gets stimulated within ourselves and begins to bump up against the boxes of possibility. And this is when we start to experience suffering. It does not feel good to hit those limiting thoughts. It feels frustrating. You know, it feels like, what am I doing? When we have the power of Agni, that 
power of purification is said to be as simple as turning the light on in the dark room. So the Agni comes in, turns the light on, and then we see all of the stuff that was hidden in the darkness. So do you have a closet maybe somewhere that's full of stuff that you would rather not have full of stuff? Maybe, I don't know, maybe if, if, it were up to, if it were up to my husband, my closets would look like an Ikea advertisement, but I am not that person. I have closets that in the darkness, they are wonderful, okay? But as soon as I turn the light on, the chaos is revealed. So I personally have closets like this, much to my husband's dismay. He avoids those closets. He treats them as though some hostage was being kept in there. He avoids them. So when I occasionally I go and I turn the light on, oh, look, the chaos is here. The chaos does not feel good. I know I need to clean that closet. But as long as the light is off, everything remains in the darkness. But when the light is turned on, it reveals the truth. Oh, look, piles of old clothes that need to be removed. Things I don't know what they are that have somehow accumulated. Electronic wires of some type. I don't know what to do with those. Batteries. I'm not sure. I don't know. Undisclosed items of an unknown source. Who knows? So it would take some hours to so ignore. So our bodies, our energy systems, our minds are like that. The Agni turns on, the chaos is revealed. It feels uncomfortable because now we have to sort through our stuff. So the Agni burns through the physical impurities, everything in the body, which we don't feel until we come to yoga practice. Think back before you did yoga. Did you have less pain? <laughs> Maybe you had different pain, right? Different pain, just the mis normal, miserable life pain. Now in yoga, very specific pain. Yes, today I feel my erector spinae, right? They are stimulated in a very particular way. Oh, I feel my rectus femoris has been worked. So this is a sort of, you know, yoga pain. It's very specific. So it burns through physical impurities. After the physical impurities are burned, we start to work with emotional impurities. The emotional impurities, the mental impurities, impurities of thoughts are probably the most, one of the most difficult to deal with to push our limitations beyond our mental and our emotional framework. And then finally, the spiritual obstacles, which are even harder to place our fingers on. However, there's hope. After that Agni burns through the physical impurities, the mental impurities, the emotional impurities, the spiritual impurities, all that remains after that long process of purification is the light. So then the process of yoga is complete. We can think for a moment how much further we have to go on the path. This is why we say maybe this lifetime, maybe next lifetime, maybe thousands of lifetimes. It's the humble recognition that we have a long, many more, many more miles to go before that final liberation could happen. So when the light remains, we have Viveka Kyati, discriminative discernment. Up until that moment, Almost everything we experience will be filtered through this box of our possibility, what we know ourselves to be, what we know our world to be. And our work is to constantly expand that box a little bit and shift at the leading edge of who we believe ourselves to be so that we can grow. We can expand that possibility. And if we are so bold enough to expand that box beyond which anyone else has done before, we may be able to blaze the trail for someone else. You know? In other words, we can set an example. Look, I did it. You can do it too. Why not? Right? So the key is that the whole practice and path of yoga is based on that simple principle. 
look, I did it too. You can do it also. Look, this is a practice that has been done for about thousands of generations before you. They have all done it. Look, you can do it too. Why not? Because you live in the box. Break the box. Someone has walked on the paths before you. The opening prayer that we do, this, uh, this chant to Patanjali, this, this invocation to Patanjali, is the idea that Patanjali has walked the path before us and shined the light on the path so that it's easier for us. So we say this prayer at the beginning of practice as an intention to step on the path and to have that light shined within us. We say the closing prayer, the Shanti Mantra, so that the deep benefits of our practice, the Shanti, the goodness, the light that we cultivate shines for ourselves and shines for others. And I often say the Guru Stotram at the end in honor of the lineage of yoga that comes before me, thanks to my teachers who believed in me, who shifted my box of possibility before I ever believed in myself. You know, they thought I could be strong long before I thought I could be strong. I thought I was a little weak girl who couldn't do anything. And they said, Kino, you have to lift up, you know? So I tried. Not because I believed in myself, but because I believed in them. And I think that's important to, to acknowledge for me in particular. I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for my teachers. So now we have little time for some questions. So are there any questions or as my teacher used to say, any doubt is there? Sure, Pragati, what do you got? Hmm. Frog in a well. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Where does it come from? It's a Sanskrit. Sanskrit saying, but I don't know the origin source. Oh, we look it up after. This can be a fun little thing. Would you say one more time? Pupa Manduka. Yeah, the Manduka, the frog. So those of you on the Manduka mats, now you know. <laughs> you are in your Kupa Manduka doing your practice. You are in your little rectangle of possibility. So jump out. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. That's awesome. Love that. Good, good, good. Turn, Victoria. What? Yeah, good question. Uh, so when I first started the practice, to be honest with you, I never wanted to be a yoga teacher. Um, I just wanted to be a student. I love to be a yoga student. So to be 100% honest with you, my favorite place within the yoga lineage is in the, in the role of the deeply inspired and devoted student. If I could do anything for the rest of my life, I would just be a student and practice. However, that's not been my path. Um, when I came back from India for the first time, um, I had met Patabi Joyce and I'd met his grandson, Chara Joyce, and I felt that the idea of teaching was so far from my mind because I'd met these teachers who have devoted their life to the practice. And here I was practicing Ashtanga Yoga for less than a year. And then I came back, still less than a year. I had been coming back from India. I'd practiced then for maybe 11 months and just thinking, wow, I just want to go back and practice some more. I started talking to people. I, you know, I need to have conversations. And I was in graduate school at New York University and I would have conversations. What do you do this summer? It's the common thing to do when you're in school and you, you know, have the summer off. Oh, I went to India. Oh, India. What did you do there? I just went to my parents' house in Connecticut. Oh, okay. What did you do there? I don't know. I just stared at the wall. I didn't do anything, you know? 
what do you do in India? Oh, I practiced yoga with this yoga master, Patavi Joyce and Mysore. Oh, what did you learn? I learned this Ashtanga yoga and then, you know, I did this practice and I studied a little bit of the, you know, the lineage and I practiced there for two months. Two months practice. Wow. Can you teach me what you learned? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, I'm not a teacher. I never said I was a teacher, but you did two months of training. Two months is nothing. These people have been practicing and studying their whole life. Who am I? I'm nobody. And I had this list of people in New York City that I would recommend people to go to. Go over here. Take class over there. Go over there. Take class over Where are you practicing? Oh, I'm practicing at home because this is the teaching I got from my teacher. Oh, this must be a very special teaching if you're doing it by yourself. By myself? Oh, I don't know. It's just my teacher is in India. How can I practice with him? But of course I do it by myself. Why are them people are asking, why are you sending me over here and over there and to this person? I want to learn it from you. No, I'm not a teacher. Please stop. And at some moment, I talked to a friend of mine who had been practicing and teaching Ashtanga yoga for 20 years at that point. I tried to bring these people to him. Please go and practice with this man is much more qualified that no, we want to learn from you. You know, it's very frustrating. And I would see these people again because they were in my school. It happened at my thesis advisor cornered me and asked me to, to teach him. And then, then I start to feel like, are you going to fail me if I don't teach you? Yeah. You know, so I was like, okay, I'll come. And so this is, I started teaching like that. And I immediately felt terrible because I just, I felt this was horrible. I asked my, my friend who was teaching for, you know, more than 20 years. And he said, you've tried to send these people to others. You've tried. They won't go. They keep asking you. So it's you or no one. So you better teach them. And I thought, oh, this is horrible. What am I going to do? And he said, just teach them what you know. And if you feel bad, don't accept any payment. Just go and volunteer. So this is what I did. I volunteered. And people, they started giving me all weird things. Like, let me buy you some food. And, you know, and somebody, there was a massage therapist who offered to trade massages. This was good, right? <laughs> it was better than the food items. Um, and I, ended, I did teach my thesis advisor a little bit. And, and, and. Hmm? I, I passed. Yes, I got a, I got my degree and he got some bad yoga lessons, <laughs> really bad ones too. Um, so I started teaching like that. Now I felt really guilty because I never did a teacher training. I never got at this point, I never got like my teacher didn't know that I was teaching. So my second trip to India, only my second trip, I stayed for six months. About the end of the six months, I went and sat in the office of my teachers, very guilty. I went in and was like this, I'm like, you know, what's wrong? Um, I have to tell you, you see, I have been teaching. <laughs> I'm very sorry. I will stop it right now. I never do it again. I'm very sorry. And Patavi Joyce, laughed at me. You're teaching. You're teaching? Really? <laughs> yes, I'm so sorry. The people they've asked, and I don't do it anymore. Okay, okay, no problem. Go teach. Why not? And I felt like, oh, this is horrible. And, and I, I even thought, I didn't, it didn't feel like, oh, this is validating. I actually felt like this is still horrible. Um, <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then, you know, my teacher said to me, next time you take authorization. And it wasn't until I had the formal authorization that I felt like, okay, I'm on this path. Okay, now I can tell people I'm a yoga teacher. I never, until I got the authorization, I never told people I was a yoga teacher. Somehow I would still end up teaching because, you know, people you end up in a conversation that ends with what, you know, 
What do you do to get so fit? I do yoga every day. What type of yoga? I want to learn that. Where do you learn that? I don't know. <laughs> How about from you? I guess it's okay. And then you're there saying, Akum, inhale, way, exhale. <laughs> And then you don't know what hit you. So that's how I started teaching. I started teaching workshops in a similar way um, and like traveling in a similar way. I was in India um, again and someone, uh, one of the fellow students came up to me and said, hey, you have a body that I can relate with and you jump through and you jump back. And I've asked a lot of people who don't look like me how to jump through and to jump back. And they all just say, keep practicing but you look like me. So how did you do it? And I was like, I'm not the teacher. Listen, you have to go ask Patabi Joyce. You have to go ask Shadaji, not me. And he said, I asked them. They told me to keep practicing. And they said, why are you thinking? So I want to ask you, oh, I don't like this. I'm here as the student. Ah, just go for breakfast and we'll have a conversation. Very quickly, it turned into like a jump through workshop. Um, and then at the end of the breakfast, then my friend said, look, I have a yoga studio in Ireland. I think all my students would like to learn and just talk about what we just talked about. How about you come and just do this for us? And I was like, well, I did just meet this man from Denmark <laughs> and Ireland is like way closer to Denmark than Miami. So, yeah, I'll come. <laughs> it was actually my thought process. <laughs> so that's how I started teaching workshops too. And honestly, I, I personally never thought that I would get the certification from Patabi Joyce on my, I think it was like my, my, my third or fourth trip to India. I was like halfway through the third series, which is a really difficult series in the practice. I never thought I'd do it. I never thought I'd finish it. Um, and I, I think there, I think this was a time when you had to like renew your authorization. And then I went to, I like waited until the last day and went up and I was like, I have to renew the authorization. And they both yelled at me, Kino, why are you bringing this on the last day? I'm sorry. I don't know. I'm very sorry. I do it next time. No, why do you do this? We don't take certification. And I was like, no, 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 I'm leaving tomorrow. And I, I just, I, my face turned completely white and I just didn't believe it. And they said, next time you finish third, you take certification. And I just, uh, I, I like got the authorization renewed and it was only because a friend of mine was there that I even believed it happened. I just completely deleted it from my memory, walked away and was just like, okay, let's get a coconut. And she stopped me and she was like, did you hear what they said? And I was like, Whoa. no, let's just go get a coconut. You have to take this in and prepare for it. And it was like, okay, don't tell anyone. <laughs> That's the first thing I told her. And I didn't tell anyone. I didn't say anything, uh, you know, and I, you know, I just, uh, didn't, um, you know, didn't really fully feel, I guess, qualified, you know? And I think even to this day, I still feel like I have so much to learn and I feel that I'm on the path and that, you know, in some ways we're all in it together, figuring it out. So if you're thinking about teaching, I think there are like a, if there's a feeling that's in you that says, I want to share this, we don't need to make a business plan out of it. And I think this is kind of an important thing to, to think about on the path of, of the, the yoga teacher is that there's, there's a couple of feedback points of like, this coming from within me, I want to share this for the benefit of those around me. Like you just want, when my, you know, I try to bring my parents to a yoga class. You try to, when you start being this like enthusiastic person, that's just like dragging everyone that you meet to yoga class, you know, people that like 
you know, maybe they, maybe they could go to a beginner class, but you're like, come on, do a primary series. It'd be great for you. Just try it. You're dragging all these people in and, you know, they're nearly killing themselves. You're like, it was awesome. Right. You know? So then like, yay. And then suddenly, uh, you know, you find that people start asking you to teach. Oh, you know, also if there's no one in your community, you know, you're in a remote community or something like that. There's no one in your community. There's no one in your, in your immediate surrounding that's teaching. And then you're doing it. People are interested. These are like some signs from the universe. But okay, I'm going to start. In some moment, you say yes to the signs. But I think perhaps the most important thing that I, I, I think is that it's, it's, it's almost, it's slightly problematic to start off with the idea of, I want to be a yoga teacher as a career path. And then choose a choose almost like a, and make a business plan out of it because the only thing that can give you a foundation is a long time spent as a student and then at some moment we have to embrace and live in the real world and then yes we can make a business plan and yes we can do all of this but if we start without the student's journey then it's like putting you know the what's the expression the, the cart before the horse right so we start with the student's journey and let that be so grounded so that then it automatically flows when the time is right. The other thing that happens, and I notice, is that students who become teachers too quickly lose the practice and lose the foundation of the practice. So if we can have a very firm foundation in the student's journey, then this can be the perfect foundation to uh, become the teacher. Make sense? Good, thanks. Other questions? Oh, Un okay. Let's have someone online who's going to unmute. Mute. Hi, Kino. Hi. Hi. Oh, um, no, hi. No. How's it going? Good. Always nice. Um, I, so I've practiced with you for quite some times now, right? And uh, I'm kind of at this weird transition spot, and I'm assuming it like all people go through it at some point where you've overcome like an obstacle, broke the box, kind of what you were saying, right? I broke a box, but now I have all these thoughts and I'm like, so how do I, how do I work on like not overstimulating, not grabbing too many things and like refocus on a new way. So I got my teacher training. I have a really established practice of my own and now I want to share it with others, but <clears throat> I'm getting kind of like lost in like focusing on the current while not like jumping too far ahead. Right. Because I can't be too far into the future, but I still have to plan for it. But how do I like stay presently planning, I guess is the way to say, <laughs> I don't know. I'm right. It's kind of like your own path. You're like, well, I still, I know I want to do a workshop. These are the things I want to work towards, but I'm just, it's a transition phase and I haven't been in here and I'm wondering if you can mm. maybe guide nice. me breaking a box, but still keeping myself in a safe practice, right? Because I don't want to bend too far and break. Mm -hmm. Good question, Mel. And I think everybody has been through different stages like this. So for example, you know, if you, did everybody hear her question? Sort of? Okay, I will repeat a little bit of the question. Mel has said that she has broken the box a little bit for herself. And now she finds herself in a transition period of being in this new space, but feeling a little ungrounded in the new space and feeling like, how do I stay grounded in the new space? But my potential is expanded, but I also, I want to stay in that, but also don't, I need to focus on what's coming next. And there's this kind of instability there. So um, 
Now, I think many of us have been there. Let me give you a postural example, because I think bringing it back to asana is very, very, is very, very, is, is just a good kind of way to contextualize things as a, as a metaphor for the, the, the transition in the life. So let's say you're working and working and working on a posture. So for example, let's say that you are working and working and working on how to stand up and drop back from Urdhva Dhanurasana. So here you are every day, you try, it doesn't happen. Two years goes by, oh God, I may die doing this. One day you do it, boom, now what? Oh. Now I have to stand up. Another two years goes by. Then suddenly you stand up, you drop back, you stand up, you drop back, you stand up, you drop back. Oh, you are happy. And now your teacher says, now you start second series. (gasps) Second series. Second series. No, I don't do that. I am very happy. This has taken five years. I have nearly died. And now you want me to do these other things? These look like suicide poses, you know? I'll just slowly kill myself. No, thank you. You know, and so then suddenly we're in, and then all the instability comes back. Oh, this is new. Oh, I don't know what to do. How many poses should I do? And one of the biggest mistakes people make in that moment is, well, let me just do all of second series, you know? And then suddenly we have injury. We have, you know, all sorts of pain, lots of things we cannot do. So if we go from, we, we jump too far. And this is why it's very important to say, have a teacher or have someone that you could mentor with, particularly if you're starting to teach and think to, to really help think about. So the box was here, it's expanded, it's not gone. So what is the next step for me? And that's just the thing to ask. What is the first next step for me? Whether that's in the practice. So now we work on second series and now you know that's your next step. However, it might not be. Maybe the next step is just get grounded in primary series a little bit more, work headstand a little bit more, work this a little bit more. And if you don't have a teacher or community to check into, to do that on your own feels feels really overwhelming. It's like being in a new city and having to find your own way. Well, I'm not home anymore, so I've totally broken the box of my little realm of possibility, but now I'm in a new city, so where do I go? right? What did we do before Google Maps? What did we do before the iPhone? We printed out a Yahoo map. You know, what do you do before that? Had some map, you know, an actual map that you would buy in like a tourist store and hold it the wrong way. I've been in San Francisco many years ago with my mother holding the map upside down. We were very lost. We had no idea where we were. We're like, I don't know where the hotel is. I don't know. It ended up with us going the wrong way down a one-way street to be pulled over by a police officer who told us the map was upside down. Now, Google saves you. So in this way, Mel, you need like a Google, right? So you need like some sort of a, a signpost, a benchmark to be able to help you figure out what is the one next step that I should be focusing on, whether it's in your journey as a practitioner or in your newer journey as a teacher, to think about how I'm sharing this. What is my one next step? Where do I focus on? And this is why it's so important to build relationship with community so that you're not there by yourself, so that you have a relationship. And sometimes you don't need to see the the person who's your mentor or your teacher every day, but you need to check in with them. So I would spend most of the time practicing by myself, go back to India, and ask questions there. And sometimes I have, I have students now that, are, that I don't see very often, 
Um, and then they check in with me, whether they're, whether we do like a, like a zoom session or they wait to come to Miami and practice and check in with me. And then this gives them kind of like the next step. Um, it's very overwhelming to be in a space of growth because we move from certainty to uncertainty. And when we're in a place of growth, that instability feels like we're trying to make it stable. So this is the opposite of what we should do at those outer limits of possibility. If you're in a period of instability, the direction is accept the instability. Sit with the instability. Be in the not knowing space. Be in the in-between space. Don't look for a new box. Just be in the space of the unknown. And this is very uncomfortable because we like the comfort of knowing. So if we can go beyond the comfort of knowing, we can experience the unknown. And in the unknown, we experience the unexpected, the limitless, and we can kind of really expand. So we can try that for a little bit. Sit with the unknowing. Thank you. I appreciate it. No. Nice. Other questions? Okay. I know most of that question. So um, first of all, the language barrier was a little difficult, I must say. So first of all, language barrier, very difficult. I, I was very envious of the, the students who, who when, when I first was practicing, there were very few Indian students. And then, and then maybe after 10, 15 years, some Indian students started to come. Um, mostly now I see with, you know, Sharaji, he speaks good English. He's fine. But I think I think one student, she was Indian, but she was from Chicago. Um, and so she was a, I knew her and she had gone to Mysore. She had practiced with Patavi Joyce and she spoke Hindi. She's Indian. She spoke Hindi. So then she went there and she had many health problems. She was born with type one diabetes. She had many health problems, but she went there. She talked to Patavi Joyce for a long time in the office. Oh, and I thought, oh, this is longer than he's talked to any of us. What's going on? And I, I knew her. She had maybe health problems. So she, anyhow, she told me that um, so they were speaking for a long time and because of her health problems, because they shared the language that he created a whole different practice for her that was based on something like primary series, but was looked totally different. So she was in the Mysore room doing something totally different than everyone else. And she said that after maybe three years of practice, she has halved her medications. Maybe she never goes off the medication completely, but it made a really big difference. And immediately I thought, Wow. We are missing a lot. You know, all we get is Akam inhale, Dway exhale, Trini inhale, Chatwari exhale. She has like some treatise on how to, how to, you know, heal type one diabetes. And we're here, like just jump through, sit down, you know? And so I really was like, wow, this is a, this is intense. So the idea being that the demonstration is my teacher has always said, try not to make demonstration. So even with the students, they can speak the same language. You never made demonstration. To really push Sharaji, you can make him do a demonstration. But Sharaji, Patavi Joyce, Saraswati, all have said to me, 
you know, don't make demonstration when you're teaching. Oh, why with a student? I should show. Don't show. Don't show. Why? Number one, you will injure yourself. Right? Suddenly in the class, you have to, you're not warmed up. And then like next day you cannot walk because you have to show the student. Don't make demonstration. Number one. Number two, the student must find their own way into the asana. That is up to the student. <laughs> so here is something interesting. If you are told this is how trikonasana should be, it looks like this, it is like this, you do like this, you do like that. The hip is rotated, the arm is like this, we make this triangle shape, it's this far apart, and we look at the toes and the external rotation, then we've created a box. It's another box. And I've seen many yoga students live in this box, the triangle pose. It's just like that, really? But what if it needs to be on a chair? That's wrong. Is it wrong? Really? What if you need to use the chair one day? Then I'm not doing it correctly. So you didn't, he didn't show so that the student could figure out how to do the asana, but he would physically adjust. So he would come and give you some physical adjustments. And if he saw something that you needed to do, he would tell you. And if you didn't get it verbally, this was my teacher's method. First he says, then he screams, then he adjusts you. Right? So it works like this. And then, you know, um, there is also this idea of, you know, what you could say the, um, you know, like the darshan, the shedding of the light, the sharing of the light. Some of my best practices were when neither Patabi Joyce nor Sharaji touched me. They had no physical, they didn't, they, didn't they didn't say anything to me. They didn't physically adjust me. There was no, nothing but their presence in the room has shifted something in me. Their presence in the room acted like a portal or a bridge to some experience that I had within myself. And this was my biggest teaching from both of them, that just their being there was enough. Their being there was like open some door. And then I have to walk through it. I need to experience it. I need to show up. I need to put in that effort. They may light the room up, but if I don't do anything in the room, then what? Then nothing. Yes, I can ask many questions. Ask question here. Ask, every time I ask Patavi Joyce a question, I got an answer that impacted me deeply. And I'm so grateful for that. You know, uh, despite the language barrier, he really tried. What I noticed also with him is that no matter what language you're speaking to him, he would listen to you. Oh, yeah, okay. Many, many students come. They have a very involved question. Oh, I have this pain. When is this pain going away? When will I put my leg behind my head? When am I going to do back then? Back then, I want to do this back then. Everybody is doing, why not me? So many people ask him these questions, you know, when can I start teaching? He would listen to the question, listen to the question, listen to the question. Listen, you know, some people have very expensive questions. And at the end of the question, he would give some answer, not always related to the question. <laughs> at some moment, he thought, oh, he didn't understand. But after many years, I realized this. He's not listening to you. He's tuning in. And in some way, he's giving an answer that is very appropriate for the person. Let me give you an example. I have a friend of mine, um, and he has asked Patavi Joyce a question, a very intensive question, that he was reading about, about when you practice yoga, it's bringing up these fevers. Sometimes you can get a fever from doing too much deep backbending, and he read in this scripture that this is happening. He read in that, and he, told, he cited all these scriptures. Okay, so... Patavi Joyce, he listened to him, oh, fever this, fever that, oh, this Samhita, that Samhita is going on and on and on. Then finally he finished, Patavi Joyce looks at him and says, you take marriage. 
<laughs> yeah, you go get married. <laughs> you date marriage. <laughs> and everybody laughed because this man, he need to take marriage. <laughs> in other words, he was like, uh, you know, someone that was a little bit problem for all of the women in the <laughs> yoga studio. So now I don't know. Uh, how suddenly he listen, 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 and then that's the response. You think, oh, he didn't understand what he said, but no, I think he really understood him, right? And then sometimes you would ask him some question. For example, I told him, this is a, another, it's another example. I was leaving to go to Nepal and I was doing my first Vipassana meditation retreat there. And I said, oh, I'm leaving to Nepal. You know, my teacher, I will see you again uh, very soon. I'm going to Nepal. He looked at me and he said, you Nepal going? I remember this. Are you Nepal going? I was like, yes, I'm going to Nepal. I was very excited. I want to go to Nepal. I was young and yay, I'm going to go. Like I'm back, back. Um, yay. And I'm going, you know, I'm going. And he, and he looked for a long time at me like this. And I was like, oh, I have something on my face. What's going on? And then he said, you Nepal going, same you not come back. And I just heard you not come back. And I was like, ah love you of course I'm coming back and I like threw a bunch of flowers at him and touched his feet and left and I was like why did you say I'm not coming back I'm definitely coming back this is crazy and then I just like totally you know but he didn't say you not come back he said you Nepal going same you not come back mm -hmm. right when I left the meditation retreat I looked out on the world. I remember sitting and like they had to bus us up. It was like in the foothills of the Himalayas and they, they, they took, we took a bus up there for some hours. <clears throat> and then on the way back, I got in the bus. I remember looking out of the window and I felt like I'm not the same. And then I heard his words again. And I heard the words, you Nepal going, same you not come back. And I started to cry because I felt like, how did, how did he know that? Like, how, how did, how did that happen? But it was true. I wasn't the same. And I felt, I felt it so strongly that, that I wasn't the same person, that there, that there was, I was a total, complete transformation that had happened. Um, and from that moment, I really paid much more attention to his words because I felt like maybe I'm missing something. <laughs> Yeah, so if the, you know, the transmission was, I think, a big part of it. The presence aspect of it was a big part of it. And for the Western yoga student who comes in and says, "Oh, I got nothing in this class. They didn't, they didn't adjust me. I didn't get any adjustments. You know, I didn't get any attention." It's like we've missed what the teaching happens. The teaching is the experience. You, the, the the teacher is the is the portal to the experience. You know, but the the teaching happens in the student. You know. So we have, we have missed a lot, but what we have is so powerful so that it still lights the path. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're, you can meet Shadaji though. Mm -hmm. He has a lot more to say, but there were many times in conference where suddenly Patabi Joyce would make this heroic effort to speak something complicated in English. And then he would sort of decide I'm done with English. And then he would start speaking Canada and then quote some scriptures. And then finally he would speak for a long time. And we're all just looking at him like, oh, oh, yes. Wow. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. Wow. No idea. Then some <laughs> minutes going by, minutes going by. And he would do this smile after and go, oh, you all understand? No. 
then he would laugh at us. And then he would look at Chatterjee and be like, make translation. And then what come out would be something like this. Oh, my grandfather says, you all need to practice more. <laughs> and we would be like, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> Anybody remember make a recording? Google Translate real quick. <laughs> you know, if uh, yeah, so there are some of these uh, that we've, we've missed a lot, you know, and so sometimes it makes me really sad, to be honest with you, when this generation of teachers is gone, they're gone. Ayengar is gone. Krishnamacharya is gone. Patavi Joyce is gone. They're gone. Only we remain. What now? Yeah. What? Yeah, definitely. I absolutely miss him. Definitely. 100%. Yeah, and there was, I also, there were, I miss him, I miss the experience, I miss the community, the, the feeling, you know, um, I just spoke with a friend of mine that I haven't seen in like 10 years, and he was, I was there when he first came to Mysore, and he, he said to me, it was, I think it was like my second trip, we were roommates for a little bit, and um, he said to me, it's like there was some magic during that time, um, and he said that uh, like those, those people who were, there weren't that many, there were like 50 people. You know, and he said that we we're talking about it. And he said, I feel like those people that were there when we were there, you know, 20 years ago, if someone would have come and said, you know, you stay here and you never leave or the whole world's going to end. And everyone would have just been like, OK, we just stay here. This is what's most important. Like it was just this feeling of like, you know, uh, the, the something, something that's indescribable was happening. So what remains we have, and we trust that it is so potent. Richard Freeman says this, that we, it's true. We've only gotten some few drops of the nectar of the lineage. It's true, you know, some few drops. But he says this, that is so potent that it can create the foundation for a new light to shine on the path. So I have hope in that. What can we hope? I think you will also be very sad when the generation of teachers that's a little bit before me when they are gone also. So if you get the opportunity to practice with Richard Freeman, get the opportunity. I don't know if we will ever have the opportunity to practice with Tim Miller ever again, but if it happens, I recommend you all to jump on that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely. When they're gone, they're gone. Then what? Only we remain. One day we are gone. What can we do? We can do our best to take what kernels of wisdom we have and make sure that they're preserved for the next generation so that we don't lose. And just by documenting on the internet does not mean we have kept. To keep means to keep the integrity of the practice. Understand? Good. Now we are over time. We're talking too much now. So now you have to go have some breakfast or something. So thank you very much, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS, and that's at www.omstars.com. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. 
So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit, which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.